Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. Does your inner critic keep you from enjoying your life? Does your fear of looking weak or lazy drive you into the ground? And why does there seem to be a battle between that part of us that wants to do great things and the other part that just wants to play small? Richard Schwartz introduced IFS or internal family systems many years ago. Since then, the process has been used to heal, strengthen, and align the minds of many people, including myself. I use IFS daily in meditation as well as in my coaching practice to help clients confront their fears and get out of their own way. When it comes to being productive, I found that IFS works much, much better than forcing our way through resistance. And it's amazingly effective at helping us cut through the noise so we can connect to what some may call our essential or spiritual self. Schwartz has a new book called No Bad Parts, and today we're going to explore the inner critic, our addiction to achievement, and getting out of our own way. You know, many years ago when I started meditating, I started to realize there was more than one voice in my head. And I could actually started to notice that there were arguments taking place in my head and one guy beating up another version of me. And it was just this little cacophony. I remember thinking, is this crazy? Am I crazy that there's (laughs) this drama playing out just between my own ears? And then, uh, began to just recognize, hey, there's lots of people on the bus. There's lots of members on the board here. Uh, and then I, I found your work and you have done so much to kind of, you know, really help us understand what's going on here. So for those of us that may recognize this idea that there's quite a few different versions of us, does that mean we're crazy? Does that mean we're, we're dealing with with some serious craziness up there? Yeah, well, you know, that has been the, the view that our culture has held about it. And that's the view I held until I was taught differently by my clients, maybe 40 years ago. But yeah, um, the idea that we have these little inner minds has been pathologized for various reasons. One of them is 
the stigma of multiple personality disorder or hearing voices from psychosis, things like that. But, and, and I was with you, you know, I didn't hear anything in there. I just had these thoughts and emotions that would come in and sometimes bother me or make me do things I didn't like, but that, that was just me. That was just coming out of my mind. Until I began working with some eating disorder clients back in the, well, in the 80s, and they started talking about these, what they call parts of them. And they would talk about how when this inner critic starts to attack them, it triggers another part that can make them feel totally empty and worthless and alone. And that's so distressing that a part comes in to make them binge, and then that triggers the critic again. And, and so they could go into a lot of elaboration about what you were discovering on your own that there are all these inter interactions going on inside of us that most of the time, because our focus is on the outside world, we're pretty oblivious to. And that they aren't just ephemeral thoughts and emotions, they actually emanate from characters in there that are pretty consistent. And so this work that we're talking about, it, I think it can relate. It's like there's a version of me that gets up in the morning and says, you know what, I'm going to work out today and I'm going to plan and everything. And then, you know, two o'clock rolls around or five o'clock rolls around. And it's a different part. It's like, nah, just go have a beer and blow it off. And, and that's a that's a kind of a minor version of how it shows up. But it can also spread into much different areas where it has us doing different behaviors that are really not great for us. And you mentioned that inner critic and, you know, I, I struggle with an inner critic. So many people that I know have an inner critic. Um, there's this voice in her head that seems to always be pointing out where I'm not enough or where you need to be doing better or what you could even replaying things over in my mind as I'm meditating. It's like, oh, my gosh, let's just. And for a long time, I hated this voice. I, I was just like, I just need to get rid of this thing. And I know I'm not alone because I talked to so many others that, that deal with this as well. But from your perspective, from the IFS perspective, this guy's not a bad guy. And for so long, I wanted to take a lightsaber to him. So how, what's going on? Why is this inner critic that seems to wreak so much havoc and so much, bring so much, you know, struggle into my day? How is he not a bad guy? Yeah, well, I was with you, like I said, back in the day. I mean, I, I had a critic that used my father's voice and would shame me all the time about being lazy and which was, you know, when my father was at his worst, that was his view of me. And so I would fight with it or I would try to meditate to get away from it. And, and then again, as I started to experiment with these clients and started helping them with their inner critics, I started to hear from my clients that when they would get curious about why are you doing this to me inside, just to ask that of that part, they would get answers that didn't fit the profile of what I thought the part was because they would hear things like, I'm afraid if I don't yell at you constantly, you're not gonna get out of bed. Or if I don't uh, make you feel like shit, you're gonna take risks and then you're gonna get hurt. Or, and, and so there was always this kind of protective intention behind the critic's uh, behavior. And that kind of blew my mind. And so I, began experimenting with trying to fix what it was trying to protect and found that when we could heal the parts that it was trying to you know, protect that way, 
that it would lighten up and, and even sometimes totally transform and do the opposite. It became a kind of inner cheerleader when it really trusted that it didn't have to make you feel so bad all the time. Actually, it was that work with the inner critic that led to a lot of the other uh, things about IFS that, that people like so much. Because I just did a, part, a book for Sounds True called No Bad Parts. And it's really true that like the inner critic, even all these other parts of us that get in our way in our lives, when approached from a place of curiosity, will tell their secret histories of how they were forced into these roles they don't like, but they think are absolutely necessary to keep you going and are happy to transform if they can trust that it's safe to do that. Now, I basically don't have an inner critic, and it's such a relief to not have that voice constantly nagging me about things I'm doing. I've got external critics that I, you know, can be married to. <laughs> <laughs> but my wife's inner critic, I know, is has got my best interests at heart too. So, well, I want to I want to you know go in a little bit here. So so early on, something happens where it says, "Hey, you know, if I don't step up here, I'm not gonna I'm gonna be harmed. I'm gonna be hurt. I'm gonna be embarrassed. Something bad's gonna happen. So I've got to step up. This part says this. This aspect of ourselves says, "Hey, I've got to step up, and I've got to point out all the things that could go wrong, will go wrong. You need where things need to step up, etc." And instead of it coming from this place of evil or darkness or, you know, somebody really wanting the worst for us. It's coming from that a part that wants to do well for us and wants to look out for us. But the the way it goes about it is maybe young or not as well thought out. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it seems like we would just like, why couldn't it be more constructive or healthy in that way? Why isn't it that way? Yeah. So a lot of it comes from when you were young and you got out of line, your parents would yell at you, and sometimes in a critical way. And the consequences for that young mind of, you know, disobedience from your parents or of having them not value you feel really, really scary to young parts of us. And when you were a child, it felt really scary because we're all born with the knowledge that if our parents don't value us, we're not going to survive. So there's a kind of survival terror that can come with upsetting your parents. And so to keep you in line, often a protective part will take on your parents' attitude and try to yell at you in an anticipatory way or even just to motivate you to do the right thing in the same way that your parent did. And other systems call these introjects and things like that, but they're really just these protective parts that are often frozen back there. They live, they, if you were to ask that critic inside of you how old it thought you are, you get a single digit most of the time. It hmm. thinks you're still a little, little guy, and it thinks if it doesn't yell at you, something bad is going to happen. And it's based on the fact that uh, that did happen back when you were young. So it's a young strategy. It's it's based in a young place. It's not an adult strategy to solve this. It's more of, okay, this is what a young person does in order to, to avoid that type of criticism or that, that terrible feeling of being dismissed or pushed away by our parents. 
Yeah, it's anachronistic. You know, it, it might have been necessary even back then, but it got stuck in that role. And even though you, you don't live with the same consequences now as an adult, it thinks you do. And it thinks it's still got to protect that way. Yeah, so going to it, not only with curiosity, but ultimately with compassion and letting it know, you know, it, it seems counterintuitive, but just showing it appreciation for how hard it's worked to try and keep you safe all your life. That softens these parts enormously. They're dying for appreciation because they get demonized like we were talking about. Everybody hates the inner critic and tries to get rid of it. And right. that just makes it stronger. Yeah, I want to come back to how we can work with these a bit. Um, I still want to kind of identify where these parts show up in our lives. And, and one of the next things as a coach, I deal with my, my folks dealing with resistance, right? This self-sabotage and so much of the kind of the tough guy spirit about going, you know, dealing, just push through and, you know, just roll over it and force it get over yeah. this stuff, dismiss yeah. it. And even that would show up in meditation, right? That this thing shows up, oh, notice it, kind of let it go and get back to the breath. There's this dismissiveness or dismissal nature of this part that shows up and says, no, 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 I don't want to do this. Um, so forcing that, that forcing ourselves against our resistance, no, I don't want to do this uh, versus this curiosity that you speak to. But again, that that part of us that wants to self-sabotage or slow us down and resist certain things doesn't necessarily mean we're bad. Like you said, there's no bad parts here, but what's going on there? Why do we have somebody, why do we have a part of us that's grab, grabbing us by the ankles and trying to hold us back? Yeah. So what you talked about in terms of forcing is we're a kind of willpower culture. We just think if we have enough willpower, we'll lose the way, you know, that we're just lazy because we eat or or will achieve a lot as a CEO and we'll we'll have uh, our stockholders be really happy with us because we and to do that I need the willpower to work 10 hours a day these parts of us which it's related to the critic but these striving parts of us that really want us to succeed and and push through any obstacles I've worked with a lot of those guys who are CEOs or have made it, they're high, high performers. And they have symptoms. They'll have medical symptoms sometimes, or they're, they had a real ugly episode and they, they're divorced now, or there's some kind of uh, anxiety that's come up and taken them over and taken them out, or arthritis or pain that's really forced them to stop working even. And when I have them focus on the symptom, like focus on the pain and get curious about it, they'll hear from the parts that had been pushed aside by the striving part. You've probably heard the term spiritual bypass. Mm -hmm. There's, for me, there's an achieving bypass that by, that this striving part is determined to bring a lot of accolades try and deal with the sense that you feel worthless or you feel scared and you're young and if people really knew you they'd, they'd reject you and counter all of that we use willpower to try and get a lot of positive stuff but in the process of doing that we're not really helping the parts of us that feel worthless anymore because it's temporary it's like a 
a bucket with a hole in it. All these accolades just kind of go out the bottom. It's endless. You got to keep feeding, feeding that sense of uh, worthlessness. And we're also pushing away parts that want other things in our lives. They don't want to work 10 hours a day, sit at a desk and do that. They, they want to, you know, explore and, and have decent relationships and be with the kids and all that. And so as I would have people focus on these symptoms like the pain and just ask why it's there, they would hear from these parts that they had what I call exiled to get where they got to that hate that striving part and are determined to sabotage it. And they're not sabotaging it because they don't want the person to succeed. They're sabotaging it because they just want a place at the table. Mm. You know, they just want to share some airtime. And so as we work that out and we had the client separate a little bit from those striving parts and not be so dominated and listen more to these other parts and, and, and have a kind of time-sharing approach, the symptoms would go away. And so is this getting at what you're asking? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you brought in this kind of a, a achiever mindset because it's so easy for folks to be admired in that place. Look at what I've done. I'm special. I'm unique. Um, and nonetheless, you know, when I see behind the veil, most often their health is terrible. Their relationships are terrible. They're, they have no sense of peace of mind, no sense of self. It's always comparisons. It's always outrunning this and that. There's a, there's a lot of shadow side to that, to that high performer that you talk about. It's not inspiring to be around. It, it doesn't feel like a, an actualized life, like somebody really expressing themselves. It, it's, it's somebody trying to outrun this, this part of them that is, that they can't stand. Um, and, and so I love that, you, that you're, you're speaking to this because even as we're talking, I can imagine when I share this with some of my clients, it's just like, there's no way I can slow down though. Like if I slow down, I will die. That's the feeling is that if I were to really turn in and get curious about this, there's the thing I'm trying to outrun. And there's just no way I'd rather kill myself trying to be amazing and special than slow down and take a look at this. And so what can we, what's going on there? Why is it so difficult to slow down and and, and turn around and take a look or be curious about this part that we're trying to outrun. Yeah, well, that, that's very astute because that's really the first reaction I get from a lot of these kinds of people. And it's not that different from other addictions. You know, uh, why does the heroin addict keep going back even though it knows he knows it's going to kill him? And what's he afraid would happen if he actually turned around and looked back down the parts that the heroin is trying to keep them higher than. It's really a similar kind of thing. And the big fear is if I don't do this, I'm going to feel all this stuff that I've been desperately trying to stay away from, which includes shame and worthlessness, but it might also include uh, terror, you know, that some of it is to show that I'm powerful and in control of everything so I don't feel the terror that I felt when I felt so out of control as a child. Just the emotional pain that I got when I was rejected or abandoned by a parent. or So there's lots of emotions that we came out of our families of origin with or our peerships with when we were younger that we swore we would never feel again. And in the process of doing that, 
we push them all down into a inner basement or abyss or a cave and just tried to move on. You know, this is a move on culture we have, rugged individualist American willpower can do anything, meritocracy, competitive, uh, your value is based on your income or your value is based on your productivity. So all of that in our culture reinforces this particular addiction to achievement as a way to stay stay away from all of that other stuff and never have to feel it again. And, you know, many people spend a chunk of their life doing pretty well with that. But it does catch up to them at some point. Maybe when they retire and they can't constantly do that, or maybe uh, when they get these kinds of symptoms. So, yeah. so it's, it's the fear is if I don't constantly feed myself this way, I'm going to feel these other things. And, th and that can be terrifying. These things that I swear I'd never feel again. Yeah, it feels like a, a, a death. Like I can hear guys, it would kill me if I didn't have my status. It would kill me if I didn't have the mm -hmm. money. If it would kill me, there's, there's that, there's an element of death there egoically, but it's also that part of, I don't want to feel this stuff because that might feel like a death too. There, there's some, it's, it's really painful to go back in that place. And I, I don't think that most of us realize that we're working so hard to outrun those things. And that's, what's exhausting us. It's not, you know, I don't want to paint creating cool things in our life as, as the bad part. I see it more as yin and yang here, which is understanding that there's that, that drive to create. And we'll talk about more about where that comes from in a minute. But then there's also this yin aspect, this ability to slow down, receive, to listen. And you're, I hear both of those things happening here. If we're willing to slow down and listen, instead of always push, always strive that willpower thing that you're talking about, then we might actually be able to engage those parts that are, that are trying to slow us down and, and maybe even find things that are worthy, really worthy of our time and our energy, instead of simply trying to protect and please improve. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that, Tripp, because I don't want to vilify those striving parts either. You know, they're just trying to bring us good things and maybe bring good things to the world sometimes. Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking about myself also here because um, I created this model in part to prove that I wasn't worthless because I'm, I'm the oldest of six boys and <laughs> my father was a very prominent sort of well-known in his field of medicine, and I didn't have a head for science, and I, it was a big disappointment to him. So I came out of my family with this drive to prove him wrong, and one way I could do that was, you know, I, I stumbled into this discovery when I was working with clients, and I thought, oh, okay, this is the way I can do it. And that striving part of me took over my life for a big chunk of time, and my kids suffered for it, and I'm the process actually as we speak of trying to sell my house to move back to Chicago so I can do a lot of repair with my kids and my and get to know my grandkids so I'm I'm trying to make that shift that we're talking about and I, I value that striving part because it brought me here to be talking to you about this and it brought a lot of healing to the world, actually. There's thousands of people that have benefited now. So 
these parts make wonderful advisors and terrible masters or bosses. And so we want them to be close by as we look to what we want to do in the world and we figure what that out, figure out what that is. But we don't want them to be constantly running everything compulsively without any choice, without us having some more balance and choice in our lives. Yeah. Thanks for, for sharing that. Cause I, I, it's easy to imagine, Oh, this guy, he's come up with this model. He's living this actualized life and everything's all harmony all the time and everything. And it's, it's, I, I, I don't want you to be struggling or anything, but it, it is helpful to see that people are human. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm doing better. Um, but it's really been the last, I'd say couple, three years where it, it's really gotten clear to me that I was out of balance that way. And, uh, that I needed to get off the road. You know, I was probably 60% of the time traveling and presenting and pandemic really has helped. Is it, I think it's pandemic has helped lots of people wake up. What the hell have I been doing with my life? Right. And do I really want to go back to that job? Do I really want to get back on that treadmill? I mean, I think that's a phenomenon in this country. I think it's a very healthy one actually. Yeah. The, the amount of people that contacted me over the last year is like, all right, this is my sign. It's time to get off of this path that I've been on. And to use your terms, you know, this parts driven life versus the self led life. So let's talk about that a bit because, all right, we're, we're starting to get a sense that these parts, which are rooted in defense and fear, um, shame, et cetera. Okay. They can drive our lives. Well, what's the What's the alternative or what's what what else is there other than just the parts? That's the big discovery of IFS that in addition to these parts or just beneath the surface of them is this other person who comes out spontaneously if they open space for it. And I just stumbled into that discovery as I was helping clients with their parts. And there were times where I would have them ask these parts to relax or just step back inside and open a little space and out would pop this other person who sort of knew how to relate inside in a healing way would would come out whereas seconds earlier they were really really angry or they were terrified i got that to separate then suddenly they'll just say spontaneously you know i'm just kind of uh curious about why this part of me is doing this. And they would say it from a place of calm and with some confidence and, and in addition, have a kind of compassionate tone. And that amazed me because we were working with parts that had driven them crazy and, and done a lot of damage in their lives. And, or let's say we're working with a critic and I get the parts that hate the critic or are terrified of the critic to relax. And suddenly they're just curious about why the critic's doing this. And they, they even might spontaneously say, I feel sorry for it. It doesn't feel like it's a very nice job to have. And when I would ask, who is that? You know, what part of you is that? They'd say, that's not really a part like these others. That's more me or myself. So I came to call that the self with a capital S. And now almost 40 years later, 
thousands of clients later, thousands of people using this all over the world, we can safely say that that self is in everybody, can't be damaged, is just beneath the surface of these parts and knows how to heal, knows how to relate both internally to these parts in a healing way and also externally to people in a healing way. And that's a big deal, that discovery. And it, you know, it flew in the face of what I'd been taught in graduate school, so I couldn't believe it at first. It wasn't until I started hearing that it was similar to what some spiritual traditions had found that uh, I could actually ground it in something that I could relate to. But yeah, that's, that's a big deal. You know, you, you've talked about this before. It was in the book as well, but the self is, you know, essentially the sun in the sky and it's always there. It would never went away, but the clouds act as, you know, the parts essentially act as clouds that obscure it. And if we've never seen anything other than our parts, then we have no idea that there's a sun behind there. Um, and so essentially what this process helps us do is clear apart, clear those parts away and then have access to the self, which is calm and compassionate and kind and confident in that, in that way. And what I love about it is, is this is nothing to strive for. Right. This is not yet another spiritual path that you have to climb another mountain, improve yourself, which so many people may live, leave Silicon Valley to go, you know, adopt some robes and shave their heads and change their name. And, you know, I've found another path now. So this isn't anything that we have to necessarily go achieve. It's an allowing that's yeah. already there. And really the, the work is, is to just kind of relax these parts a bit, and then we can have access to the self. Is that how you would describe it? That's very accurate, Tripp. And I have what I call a constraint-releasing approach. So the constraints are these parts and the burdens they carry, the extreme beliefs and emotions. And as they relax, we're releasing the self rather than building up the muscle of compassion, like you're saying, or... You know, having to practice constantly some meditation to, to be that person. Uh, all we're doing is helping the parts that thought they were who we were, like you said, and thought they had to run everything because they got into those roles when, when you were young. Help them step back and just see that there is this other person because they didn't have a clue most of the time. And that they can let this other leader come out and run things, and that it's a lot better for them when that happens. So yeah, it's a, it's a very accurate description. I'm curious, um, you know, so let's talk about how we can maybe start to access more of the self in our daily life, because most of us, if we're parts driven, it's on the other side of a big paycheck or a new, new accomplishment or whatever. That's what's going to have me feel whole. That's going to have me feel complete. I will finally be at peace, you know, that, then I'm, then I'm good. Right. Where in actuality, it, it may be more in the moment if we're willing to relax some of these things. So instead of that forcing and that striving and that, you know, I'm gritting my teeth and, you know, kind of white knuckling here. What is it that about curiosity and that willingness to slow down in the moment? Can you describe essentially what happens there if we're willing to get curious with those parts? Yeah. So if I were to have you focus on your critic, let's say. You want, you want to do it for a second? Sure. Okay, great. All right. So you mentioned this critic. So see if you can focus on it and find it in your body or around your body. Where does it seem to broadcast from? 
I'm aware of it more in my chest and throat right now. Okay. And as you notice it there, Trip, how do you feel toward it? I've done a lot of work with this part. So in this moment, I'm feeling curious, but also a little wary. Okay. So I can understand the wariness, but we're going to ask the wary part to give us a little more space in there so you can just be curious. To see if the one who's a little fearful could relax or step into a waiting room or give us a little more space. And trust you and me to handle this critic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And How I'm noticing think? another part that I'm working with that is concerned about being exposed. So, but I'm okay. asking that to relax. Yeah, we can either listen to its concerns and help it, or we can ask it to step back. So mm -hmm. If it really needs airtime, we can, we can give it to it. Mm -hmm. I'm good. Okay. Focus again on the critic and tell me how you feel toward it now. I feel rather neutral towards it. You feel it. open to getting to know it better. Mm -hmm. So let it know that and ask it why it is so hard on you sometimes. Just ask and wait for an answer. Don't think of the answer. Just see what it says. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, if, I'm afraid you're going to miss out on life. Okay. Does that make sense to you, Trip? Sure, certainly. Okay. So let it know you get that, that it's trying to make sure you don't miss out. It thinks that that's the way to do that. And that at, a, at some level you appreciate its attempts to help. And just see how it reacts to the appreciation. Yeah, feels calm. Okay. Yeah, so ask it more about what it's afraid would happen if you did miss out. Ask that question and wait for the answer. Uh, the, the, the big fear is that I will go through life not living my life, not actually that I, that I will get to one day and I'll be full of regret that I didn't, okay. didn't, didn't live fully. Okay. And that feels accurate, that, that makes sense too? Yes, yeah, very much. Yeah, so let it know that makes sense too. So is it afraid of another part of you that would have all that regret uh, is in there? Just ask it that. Not aware of another part, but I'm, I'm aware of things in my history that would have that, you know, things that have influenced me, um, you know, greatly that that, that comes out. The, the backstory, you know, the, the main thing being my, my mother took her life when I was 13. 
okay. uh, tomorrow's the anniversary of that. And okay. so it can really come up and there's, there's been a point of like, Hey man, we're not, we're not giving up on this life. We're going to live it. She chose not oh, to live. Okay. Like, okay. So I can feel this part that really drives me. It's like, we're going to live. We're yeah. going to leave it all on the, on the field. Okay. So let it know you get, or just ask it, ask if that is where it got this drive that it decided, unlike her, you're going to really, really live. Ask if that's right. There's that. And there's a, there's another part I can hear my dad kind of chapping my ass about being lazy, you know, get off the couch, get outside, go do something, be productive. That thing that, okay. feels, that feels less, but nonetheless, it, that that's there too. All right. So sounds like there's two parts. There's one, that, the one who's driving you to live fully. And then another part that thinks it has to yell at you to not be lazy. Just ask mm -hmm. if that's right. Yeah, that's, that's, that sounds right. So which of those two do you want to continue with, Trip, or do you want to continue? Is this okay so far? It is okay. I don't have a lot of charge around it, but, um, uh, in this moment, but, uh, yeah, there, I noticed I have questions from an interviewer place that I want to get to that, that mm -hmm. I'm curious about, like, oh, how's this working? And so I appreciate that you want to do the process with me. And I'm also noticing like, oh, that's a good point to make. So I want to just name that uh, okay. this moment. So, yeah. I'm your guest. So it's, it's really up to you. <laughs> yeah. Let me check with that. I, I, I do work with somebody. So, you do? Uh, okay. uh, but I don't want to turn down the, the opportunity you know, to live fully and work with Dick Schwartz. Right. So, <laughs> Thank Does you. it feel like you've gone to that 13-year-old boy and, and helped him? Yes. Yes. And it, that voice is much less cruel mm. these days. Yeah. There was a cruelty to him before. And there's, it's, it's more of I can feel the tension and, and know, where, know what's going on. And he feel that concern, like you said, like an advisor Mm -hmm. doing his job, but it doesn't have to come in with a big stick anymore. Right. So thank that part for changing that way. Mm -hmm. Let's see what it says about that. Yeah, I can hear it. Yeah. Stay in line. We don't have any problems. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> anyway, thanks for being a good sport with us and, and your show. And, uh, for your audience, that's it's a sample. Yeah, it's the kind of work we do. Yeah, I'm appreciating that, and and it also helps me appreciate how we can do for lack. You know, one way of saying it is that we could do the right things for the maybe the wrong reasons, where it looks great to go live life fully and to love fully, but it can also feel a little neurotic too, um, yeah. and it doesn't feel self led like we've been that's talking true. about. And I, when I try to relax more into self there, th this part, the, the live fully part starts to get really activated. Like, oh, you're just going to not live now. There's that, that, that fear that comes up. It, it, can you speak to that a little bit? Because that was starting to come up. Like, don't relax too much because you'll just fade away or something. 
Yeah, well, from what I'm gathering, it carries this burden it got when your mother died of not letting that happen to you, not letting you sort of waste a life or not appreciate your life. And that that burden, that, that belief that you have to live, maybe even to compensate for her, I'm not sure. It feels, it feels like a burden in that way. Like it's, yeah. it's my job to live, really live yeah, my life. Exactly. But that becomes an organizing principle for this part. And that until it can lay, lay that burden down, until it trusts it's safe. And, and that'll take some work too with a therapist just to help it see that you don't have to do this to compensate for the mother or to, to make sure Trip doesn't commit suicide or whatever its fears are. We didn't get that far, but there's a way you can help it unload that burden and then it'll transform and it'll just be a part that, like we were saying, I can't say this for sure what it'll, it'll turn into, but it's likely it'll just be a part that wants to help you go think of things to do and, and enjoy your life without the compulsion, without the constant voice and pressure that you're feeling now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and it, and when I'm getting through this process and all through <clears throat> also with reading through the work is that trust is to be earned just to like in yeah. any relationship. So it's not, bam, I had this conversation and now everything's done. It's, but it is a, I'm going to build trust with this part, this part will through, through discipline essentially, right. Through, through consistently showing up and, and relating with this part, I'll earn this trust and that will have it relaxed, but it's not a quick fix kind of thing. Not usually. I mean, it can be in some cases, the part lays down the burden and transforms and that's it. But most cases it, it takes what we're calling it now as a life practice. That you, you get to know the part and then you notice when it's activated and you just remind it in the moment that remember, we don't have to do this anymore. And I'm not going to waste my life. I'm, I'm, I, as myself, there are things I want to do, and I'd like your help in that. And you don't have to be driven this way anymore. And, and most of these parts really are tired. They're really tired of having to push you constantly. They, if they could really trust you that you weren't going to waste your life or you're not going to be lazy, or if they really could trust that, They'd love to step back. They would love to not have to dominate so much. Yeah, that shield and that sword are heavy. It'd be nice to nice to put them down. But what you're saying about earning their trust is is a big part of this work, right? Hmm. I I love that there's a through line between the, this process having access to self, and that's where this works moves from a, a healing perspective into an awakening perspective where we start to actualize who we really are when we're not eclipsed by these parts or stuck in their reactivity. I love that you're writing about this in, in the latest book and, and acknowledging this, that it's not just a healing modality or a tool for healing that in the larger you know, perspective, it's about us awakening to our, who we truly are. Um, I, what can you share about that process? Because you, you touched on the wisdom traditions a minute ago. So I would just love to hear more about what's happening there. Yeah, I think it's it's an alternative path to achieving what a lot of the wisdom traditions 
advocate and sometimes a, a shorter path, I think, because um, again, the big discovery is that that person that they write about, I, I know you were, you're into Ken Wilber and that he's, you know, he was an influence on me early on that, that that state is not that far away. And what's needed isn't years of meditation. What's needed is simply helping these parts trust it's safe to let that out. And, and uh, that can involve meditation, but it's a different kind of meditation. So rather than trying to shoo away the ego that's in your way so you can be in that state, you're going to the ego and you're thanking it like we did, and you're honoring it, and you're uh, asking permission to be in this state, and asking it to open space, and finding that very quickly, boom, you're there, and asking it to let you lead your life from that place. And that's, you know, that's at least what I think of as enlightenment. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it all lines up beautifully with so many of the things that we've studied in, in so many of the other spiritual traditions. They, they line right up. And again, I love that it's more of an allowing that this happens instead of that striving to happen. You know, if you've ever been around young children, you can f feel these qualities pour right. out of them right. and they're within us. And then the parts come and do their job to protect us as they, as they do. So, um, and even I've been, I've got parts that try to protect me from a more spiritual life because I've been disappointed and let down by teachers and people on that path in the past. And like, this is bullshit. And it's a, right. you know, it's a terrible deal to, 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 to go down this road. And, and so this work has been helpful for me to relax those places where I've been hurt and wounded from, you know, like I said, the disappointments or the expectations or some of the personalities involved and, and actually reconnect with that and, and find it in there. So it's just been wonderful. I'm really glad to hear that, Trip, and, and that is one of the advantages because you don't need a guru. The guru is inside. So you might need a therapist or a friend or somebody to help you get to know the parts and convince them it's safe to open space. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that's a difference. Excellent. Well, there's so much more you've, you've written, you've got a, you've got so much material out there about the actual process of IFS, but where did no bad parts come from? Cause it's a little different spin on, on the IFS process. Yeah. You know, I'm getting older and I'm less afraid to be out of the closet about the spiritual side of it. And I do feel like I want to share the vision of possibility of if we could adopt some version of, of this map to the human psyche. Um, so all of that came into, okay, then let me do a book about it. And uh, I'll do it not for therapists, because most of my writing has been for therapists. But I'll do it for the public, and I'll try to translate a lot of this into to language that isn't so esoteric and can, can also offer exercises that people can actually use to find some of what I'm talking about. So, and then examples, I've got some case examples too. Yeah. So that was the impetus is it feels now I just turned 72 and I don't have that much longer. And so I do want to bring this as far as I can. And uh, we're bringing it out of psychotherapy into coaching, for example, and 
medicine we're trying to bring it to and a lot of other fields. So, and, and you know, I'm trying to make sure that's not coming from that crazed striving guy. <laughs> <laughs> and part of the challenge is that in the last, I'd say, five years maybe or longer, IFS has exploded in popularity. And so I'm bombarded by these amazing opportunities. And, and that striving guy's going, yeah, okay. Let's do know? it, yeah. yeah. So it's, that's my cross to bear. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm so grateful for the work that you've done. It's had a huge impact on me and I don't know if I've ever not recommended it to somebody uh, when, when they're at a, at a place where they could really get some help in this arena. It's just IFS usually is the first thing that comes right up. So uh, it's, it's, it's that impactful and that direct to be able to get in there and then the walkout is like, okay, I've got a relationship with this part now that feels like it's been trying to undermine me or kill me in some way or, out, you know, drive me into the ground. I can relate to this part now and I can work with it. And man, just so many things start to open up from that place. So yes, thank you so much. You're welcome. You know, it's great to talk to you again. And again, congratulations on your success. Although I don't want to feed that part too much. <laughs> well, We'll have to compare our, our, our uh, strivers at some point. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dick. You're welcome, Trip. If these interviews are helping you, please leave a positive review on whatever podcast app you use so that others can discover the show more easily.